0: Hello Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Today I've got a very special guest, Lawrence Jackson, former USC defensive lineman, former NFL defensive lineman, all-around great guy. We're going to talk to Lawrence about USC football, defensive line play. He was actually out of practice on Wednesday, so he wanted to pick his brain on that. If you have any questions or comments for us, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 641-715-3900, extension 816 646 You can go to our website, peristylepodcast.com, or subscribe on iTunes at itunes.com slash peristylepodcast. I want to bring in Lawrence Jackson. You can follow him on Twitter at LoJackson94. That's L-O-Jackson94. He's just got over 12,000 followers. He's doing real well. What's up, Lawrence? How you doing?
1: What's going on, Ryan? Thanks for having me on.
0: Oh yeah, it's good to see you. And if uh, for people that came out to our uh, little subscriber event for uscfootball.com, dot com, we had our one year at scout anniversary. Lawrence was kind enough to come by and, and mingle with everyone. So I hope you had a good time of that.
1: Yeah, I did. It was good seeing everybody. Good seeing some faithful fans, uh, especially before the season starts. I was excited about that.
0: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And yeah, uh, you know, what so what have you been up to lately? What's what's uh, what's been going on in Lawrence Jackson's life?
1: Uh, getting used to the to transition away from football and starting to get geared to more of a uh, professional career. I uh, was working on some independent stuff, doing some entrepreneur work with a company called Home at Harvey, uh, trying to spread the the word on that and, and get the company going. But uh, really just trying to find myself after football because I know that at 30, um, I have a long life ahead of me. Oh, you're 30 now? Well, happy
0: happy 30th. Yeah. That's
1: thank the- you. Thank
0: you. <laughs> And it just seems like it just seems like you were in college just you know a couple of years ago. this time flies pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, man, time flies really, <laughs> really fast these days.
0: And Lawrence, uh, for people who don't remember, way back in the earlier USCFootball.com days, well, we were around for a while, but we just were starting to do video. And Lawrence, you were always our go-to guy as far as getting the video interview because you always, you know, you always knew what you were talking about. You were always fun to talk to, and he was always nice enough to stop by and, and uh, deal with us as we were kind of learning the whole video process.
1: Yeah, it was fun being on there.
0: I love you guys, man. Well, you know, one of the things we've talked about this before, because USC is so open, you do get a lot more opportunities to be interviewed, and I think it it allows the players to get some practice. So when you do, like a guy like you moves on to the NFL, you have to go through that whole interview process and all the different media stuff. It seems like you're you know, better prepared just because you've had to do it more.
1: Yeah, it was a a really cool experience to have that. In hindsight, um, NFL – media presence uh, at practice every day and having to face tough questions after the game, after practice, about the game, uh, about the future, different things like that. And being in in such a huge market, um, you know, it really helped out quite a bit, not only for myself, but for a lot of guys. Uh, Well, speaking of difficult
0: questions after practice, I mean, we received a record number of emails and voicemails, uh, of, of USC fans extremely upset at the performance, uh, Saturday night in the Coliseum against Stanford. And of course, a lot of the focus has been on the defense and really not generating all that much, uh, pressure. There's some people blaming players, a lot of people blaming scheme that they needed to be more aggressive, kind of like what Northwestern did in the first game against Stanford when they only scored six points. And I know you got to watch the game and what, you know, as a, you know, someone that's been through those trenches yourself, you you know, you know more better than just about anybody kind of what you saw and what went wrong there for USC.
1: Well, it, there's no doubt it was a tough game. And uh, the, the issues are layered to many degrees on um, what the problem is, who should be, you know, accountable and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, when, when you look at the problem, I think that the fans have to take a big picture approach and understanding that this isn't a traditional four man defensive line like we had with Coach Carroll. Uh, this is a three four where the defensive ends are really like, uh, defensive tackles inside. So you can't expect, um, an instant, you know, get on a quarterback pass rush from a three four. You really have to drain. Uh, that fourth guy off the edge to kind of balance it out. And I think that makes it tough, uh, on any defensive alignment to get a, a good pass rush when, um, you know, you're just as big as, you know, the guy in front of you and you're not necessarily a, a whole lot faster. Um, so that made it tough for, for the guys up front. And it's a perspective that I don't think that the fans really pay a ton of attention to. But, um, you know, I think that, overall they didn't do a good job on keeping Stafford in tough situations. Uh, where it's a third and long, um, or second and fifteen, you know, with a loss plan I think anytime an offense can stay ahead of the chains, it makes it tough for any defense.
0: Um, one of the criticisms I guess was it just from like a Laven's point of view, we're kind of watching, it looked like the defensive linemen, like, you know, you said like they're you know, some of the bigger guys are more like defensive tackles in that the scheme. We're just kind of rushing ahead and engaging a really big and strong Stanford defensive line, which a lot of times had six or seven even linemen in there. They'd bring in like an extra tackle. Uh, they'd keep max protect, keep a lot of guys in the block. And you didn't seem to see a lot of like stunting or twisting or any kind of anything except straightforward, just bull rushing uh, the passer. You know, they're trying to clog lanes or whatever they're trying to do. I don't know if you saw that or... And then, you know, what what's something that you can do if you're not able to generate much? Is there, like, can you twist stunts, run some different things to try to generate some pressure and and, and beat those guys and, and, you know, get into the backfield?
1: You know, one thing that Coach always talked about is, uh, you know, if you can't win a one-on-one battle, uh, everything else becomes a lot harder. And I think the easiest way to counteract that is by blitzing. Uh, and I heard somewhere some numbers that the defense, according to Sard, blitzed over 40% of the, the plays that they had. Uh, but when you can't beat a guy one-on-one and you have to blitz to, uh, get guys to, on the offense to sit and think about who they have to gain that extra second, uh, when, when you're in those two situations, it's already going to be tough on you. Um, because you're saying that you really don't have confidence, um, in your defensive line to be able to get there. Now there's other things working backward from that that you can do. Like you mentioned, the D line stunts, uh, but, but that, that also falls into the line of if you can't be the guy one on one, how is he going to sit there and believe, you know, some sort of game presentation that you guys have going on? Uh, so I think the, uh, the, the real thing that, you know, needs to happen is for the guys to start beating their man uh one on one. And I know that I also uh saw a lot of goal rushing and, you know, heavy rushes in the game and uh going out to practice today, it allowed me the opportunity to not be judgmental, but, you know, to see these guys up close and these guys were, you know, way bigger, you know, than I was. These are, you know, five technique guys, um, who are about two seventy five, two eighty um playing defensive end. and when you're in the 3-4 and, you know, you're not getting off the ball like a 4-3, everything is power, you know, to you. So the guys just have to understand that finding an edge, uh, rushing half a man, different things like that um, can take place. You and they can start beating the, the one-on-one blocks, which will open up everything else.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the blitzing stuff. And I actually did – uh, Steve Sarkisian was on ESPN Radio in L.A. And they actually had me on kind of right after him to talk about the blitzing stuff. And um, we were kind of keeping track and we, we counted at 33% of the time they rushed more than four guys when Hogan, like on a drop back situation, which was there was about 30 of those opportunities in the game. Sark was saying it was like 43% of pressure calls, which I believe he you know, it could, it could have been a run blitz. It could have been anything, but they would send more than the standard four guys. But in this and what, what you guys ran, the 4-3, basically you had the four down linemen and those guys would rush. And if anyone else came, it was a blitz. In this one, there's, you know, the three down linemen and then you have like a rush end. And that's kind of like the standard four people. But every once in a while, they would have Sua Cravens, the other outside linebacker, or sometimes they'd have Anthony, uh, S-Saro come in and rush. And if they had that fifth guy, that, that was considered a pressure or that was considered a blitz, not always necessarily a, a pass, but there wasn't to me, and I don't know if you got to see it. I mean, there, there wasn't really a lot of exotic kind of uh, blitzing going on that you didn't see a safety blitz or corner or, or bringing more than just the standard five guys. And it looked pretty kind of vanilla as far as blitzing would go. It didn't, it didn't seem to me, Lawrence, to be all that aggressive when you saw Northwestern that first game really be aggressive. Like yeah, there was technical blitzes going on, but it didn't seem like it was anything over the top or out of the ordinary.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, Big point of emphasis should be on uh, the youth, uh, the defense and the team as a whole. Um, I know the numbers are, you know, about 48 of the 70 guys that are on scholarship are freshmen and sophomores. And, um, you know, I don't know how many that equates to on defense, but when you have a young defense who, um, they're struggling in the game against, you know, a quarterback that's been around, you know, the, the, the been around the way a few times, you know, he has a lot of experience and he's able to um, take advantage of certain situations where the defense being, you know, younger, they're kinda at a disadvantage. And then so when you at disadvantage like that and then you're playing from behind, um, it puts you in an even tougher spot. But I think the quarterback, um, he did a good job on, you know, escaping some sacks. Um escaping some blitz pressure, different things like that. And, you know, just the difference on four or five plays where the quarterback was good enough to get out of the pocket or, you know, pressure or blitz, you know, if those five plays would have hit home, then we're talking about, you know, a different topic um, right now. So, you know, football is one of those finicky games where, you know, one or two plays happen the opposite of how they happen in the game, and it's a whole different story. When uh, when you
0: were playing uh, college in the NFL, how what was the how was the play when the play call was made by the defensive coordinator? However, it was signaled in. Um, how did that process kind of work for you as a defensive lineman? And was there ever like, oh man, I wish we wouldn't do this, or or why are not we doing that? Is, I, I mean, people people think of offensive play calling a lot more specifically than defensive. But were you kind of part of that where you would get a play call, like I don't really like this. Uh, yeah, I wish we were doing something else.
1: Yeah, um, I would say that that's not necessarily an uncommon feeling uh, amongst players, not really agreeing with the call. Um, but the the call gets signaled in from the D coordinator, relayed to the linebacker, and then, you know, he tells everybody in the huddle what the play is and their defensive line. If we have any communication we need to make, we communicate. Um, and at that point, you know, you – Kind of look at the offense and, and read it and see, um, you know, kind of what, what's going to happen. But sometimes you, you know, get into a situation where, um, you know, that it's a pass and it's a soft defense like cover two where the defensive line isn't in the best uh, alignment to rush the passer when it's clearly, you know, a, a passing situation. So things like that are frustrating or, um, you know, when, it's a, a four man line and you get the call that one of the guys is dropping out, um, to, to add in a coverage because the coverage isn't really working that well. Um, that's disappointing. <laughs> um, and certain blitzes can be disappointing because, you know, um, when I was at MSC, we had a blitz that was great, but it seemed to never get home. Um, and it was more where it's just like, dude, how many times are we going to run this? It's not getting home and it's sending. <laughs> You know the defensive line um, on an assignment where we're not necessarily doing what we're good at, which is one-on-one pass rushing. So in that sense, yeah, sometimes that that is the case.
0: The uh, did you have like a go-to move? Uh, like if you're, you know, maybe you're getting blocked pretty well, you're like, I'm going to try this or some kind of technique that you would use if you're if if you know the pass rush are not all that well. You really needed to try to mix it up a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think um, you know. There's – when I was there, we had a, a few great coaches, Coach Ogeron and and um, Coach Franklin, and they brought with them a lot of great um, pass rushing tools that we were able to use. And, um, there are certain things that you pick up on during the game that aren't necessarily move-specific, but you see what the guy is doing to you. So if you're not really getting the edge – on a guy and doing anything outside, then you might need to change that, you know, to attack his inside half more. um, So you can get back uh, to the edge uh, later in the game. But um, for me, I was a hand rusher. um, So I would take the outside when I could, but when I could not, I would transfer back to the inside. But again, it goes back to the technique that you're taught, being able to recognize what's going on uh, with the offensive lineman. The just
0: in general, like, defensive linemen, you're, you're, the numbers game doesn't really work in your favor. Usually there's four of you and five offensive linemen. Where, where do the wins typically come from? Is it kind of confusion? Is it really just you get a one-on-one matchup and you just beat them? Like, how does that usually work? Because you usually are you know, rushing the passer at a disadvantage.
1: No, I can give you a dissertation on this right here, but I'm going <laughs> to spare you. <laughs> We're doing some football um, one-on-one. It's great. There, there's a, There's a lot going on with uh, being successful as a pass rusher, um, I looked at the numbers, obviously playing pro, wanting to judge my performance from a analytics perspective and not necessarily from a hype or, you know, fanboy point of view. And what I got at is pass rushing is more like baseball and hitting, uh, where you have a guy you know, 160 games, 170 games, a few bombs, 30 home runs, you know, that's a fantastic year, right? So think about how many times he was at, you know, a bat and didn't hit a home run. So with pass rushing, um, you have that same variable where you have a single, a double, a triple, a home run, which it equates to a pressure, a hurry, a hit, um, and a sack. Um, and the sack is obviously the home run, the creme de la creme but it's so situationally based where if it's first and 10, you have to be aware of if it's a pass or if it's a run. And you have to be able to, you know, see the nuances between the offensive alignment and the setup of the plays and film study. Um, But most guys don't get sacks uh, on first and second down. Most guys get their sacks on third down when it's a clear pass. And if it's third and three, third and four, the odds of you getting a sack are low because – they're not going to hold the ball that long because they don't need that much. You know, you get into the third and sevens, the third nines, uh, those are where you get get the sacks because they have to run longer routes. The defensive backs get a chance to, you know, really execute the coverage and let the, the coverage in a rush work hand in hand. But um, playing in close games where uh, they don't have to be as um, risky, you know, take as many risks, that's hard to rush the passer. Um, when your team is behind by a lot, that's difficult to rush the passer because they're not, um, they're not throwing the ball as much to where they need plays. And when you need plays, you have to usually hold on to the ball a little bit longer. You can't dink and duck. So usually when you get a sack is when, um, you know, uh, a guy in the secondary you know, does a great job in coverage and the quarterback goes to, to, you know, throw to that guy and he has to hold on to the ball because he's, uh, you know, playing him too tight and then, you know, it goes to a second and third option. Once you get off of the first option and into that second, third option range, that's when sacks happen. But, I mean, it can, you know, I've, during my career I've experienced so many different things that, you know, make the sack not happen, whether it's a guy, lining up too tight, whether it's a guy dropping too far back in coverage, um, whether it's a guy, you know, rushing here when he should be rushing there. So getting a sack is more than just beating your guy one-on-one because if you're, you know, playing against, say, the Patriots and they're getting the ball off 2.1 seconds and you're beating your guy every time, you know, you're not going to get there. Michael Bennett with the Seahawks was a prime example. He was destroying them, uh, was able to get pressure, but wasn't able to get home. A lot and affect um, you know the plays when it really mattered.
0: That's great stuff. It's inside scoop on what's going on with the pass rushers. The team. It sounds like it's a, you know really a team effort to get to get that sack. And I guess with with USC, not you know the the only two times that Stanford punted were on those drives where USC got at least one sack. They got one sack in the first half, and they punted. Stanford punted. And they got two sacks at the start. of The second half, Stanford punted again, really forcing those negative plays. But there wasn't really. Kind of a lot of pressure. So even if there was guys that kind of getting there, there was, you know, three other maybe opportunities to sack Hogan where they didn't get him. Um, they still kind of made big plays out of it, but I, I think USC fans wanted to see a little bit more consistent pressure, at least to kind of force him and make some, some bad decisions. It just seemed like they weren't able to do that.
1: Yeah. You know, a lot of it really is out of, um, the players control up front you know, there's a lot that goes into getting scored on as a defense is uh, play calling, coaching, um, execution, um, then it's down to the players and things like that. So, um, you know, a, a guy in this case, they didn't do a great job rushing the passer in terms of beating their guys one-on-one cleanly and visibly to the naked eye, right, where um, it's tough when the game is flowing the way it flow where Stanford didn't have to get out of character uh to get plays, which would have given us an extra, you know, 10th of a second to get there. So I feel like if, you know, they don't score as many points, if, you know, they're not moving the ball as easy as, you know, as an offense, then you give the players a chance to execute and make plays. Um, I've always, you know, as a player, felt some sort of way where, you know, because we are on the field executing the plays, you know, we take a lot of the criticism where, you know, sometimes as a player, you know, hey, it's not on us. We're only doing what we're coached to and what we're told to, you know, and, um, you know, coaches get out of it a lot. So I think that, um, you know, to the fans, it it, it works both ways. I know that there's been – you know, some unhappiness with the D coordinator, um, you know, before, you know, with other games and different things like that from the fans. But, um, you know, it's the players and the coaches that, that have to work together to get, you know, things going to where you're not seeing holes like you saw against Stanford with the pass rush.
0: You, uh, you mentioned a, a magic word, a word that we've heard, um, quite a bit after the Stanford game. And it was execution. And you'd have to play. Well, we didn't execute. We didn't execute. And I, I mean, as a skeptic it kind of sounds like that's a i mean it's just kind of like well what does that really mean when you, if you ever said that to someone in the media or you were telling people that what does that mean to you or when a player says that about the you know what you saw Saturday night what was what does that mean to you execution
1: uh you know to me execution is when um you know something is going to happen and you know that you practiced it and you know that you prepared for it and it happens and you're unable to make the play that's not, that's not execution. Um, that's, as I say, you know, not executing where you have a chance to make the play or have a chance to do your assignment. And for whatever reason, you don't get it done. Um, and when you don't execute the first layer of that is on the players. It's like we as coaches put you in the right situation, but you didn't get it done
0: so that so if they say we didn't execute that means the coaches did their job the players didn't essentially
1: pretty much like if you know like when you if you execute then whatever the problem that's being discussed you wouldn't have that problem because you would have executed your assignment and not been put in the position to you know have a problem okay See, to me, I mean, I look at the
0: game, and I, you know, I, I'm not taking all blame away from the players, but I really felt like there was better schemes, there was a better game plan you could have had against Stanford, knowing the kind of quarterback that Kevin Hogan is, knowing what Northwestern did in that first game. It doesn't seem like Justin Wilcox is the kind of guy that wants to be a risk avert, you know, takes take some chances and and be risky and and send a bunch of guys and try to put pressure on Kevin Hogan, and to me. There wasn't really a lot of downside that you either, if you, if you rush the passer and they, they give you a quick score, at least you got the ball back. Like the way Stanford was going, six, seven minute drives every time, I don't think that was helping at all. So if you force that negative play, you, you blitz six guys or something and you, and you give up a bomb. Okay. Well, then you get the ball back. If you blitz six guys and you sack them, they're probably not going to score on that drive. So at least you forced, you forced the issue. It seemed to me that they weren't forcing the issue. So that's why I didn't really feel this was an execution thing. I just didn't think it was a very good game plan.
1: You know, and and comparing it to the Northwestern game and, you know, visibly seeing the difference in the performance of the quarterback under the varying circumstances, I think that it's uh, easy to come to the conclusion that it wasn't a great game plan. And maybe it wasn't. Um, you know, I don't know what they're teaching the guys, and I don't know. You know, a lot of the guys, you know, from, a, uh, like looking at them for a long time perspective, but, um, I know that sometimes, uh, it's as simple as, you know, making a tackle, you know, even to offer even more clear perspective on execution is, you know, having a perfect play call and blitzing and having an opportunity to sack the quarterback and not sacking them. Yeah. You know, that's an execution thing. Um. Uh, and, you know, some of the plays, they, you, you know, from my perspective, it looks like some of the Stanford guys were just the better players all, on those particular plays, especially um, in the run game. And I think that when you get to that point, um, it's simple. Are these guys, are they the better players? Or do they have better technique? You know, and if um, they don't have the better athletes and they're playing with better technique, and that's an easy fix. You just, you know, close the technique up and get the guys right. Uh, well, Lawrence, the reason,
0: I mean, I, I feel bad. It took like half an hour to get to the reason, real, real reason why we wanted to have you on today. We wanted to have you on anyway because we talked about this. But uh, you were actually out of practice on Wednesday with a bunch of other former USC defensive linemen. I wanted to kind of get the story behind that, like how that ended up happening. You know, maybe tell everyone who else was out there and what your experience was like.
1: Yeah, well, you know, we have, uh, Kinechi who, who's a strength coach and obviously a great player for, for the school. And, um, Sean is doing the broadcasting work. So, uh, he was there checking the team out and me, Phoebe and LaJuan uh, were out there. And, um, you know, this isn't something where these players are in it by themselves. Yeah, it's the 2015 USC team, but. Uh, you know, players are different than coaches. You know, as a player, you'll always be a Trojan. You know what I mean? As a coach, you should, it's just your job. Um, They're not necessarily, um, you know, Trojans. You know, some coaches in the past have gone and played for the school and things like that. But, um, you know, we've been in the trenches before. We've, you know, experienced the criticism and the doubt um, for fans at various points in in our careers and just going out there, um, you know, seeing the guys and, um, you know, supporting them, you know, just by being there, I think is a good thing, uh, cause it's, you know, they're a a young group of guys, they're trying to figure it out, they're in a tough defense and, um, you know, they, the defensive line, the players don't deserve, you know, all the criticism. Um, that they're getting as players because it, it's more profound than just, hey, these are great players that, you know, got whipped. Um, there's a lot of different things going on, but uh, the players shouldn't feel like, you know, they're necessarily letting anybody down or, um, you know, they are an embarrassment or anything like that. It was a tough game, uh, something that you have to bounce back from. And, you know, even if there is, scheme deficiencies, find a way to to execute um, above the scheme. You know, we've all had to do that at different points in time. I, myself, in 2006, when we switched to that hybrid um, 3-4, it was one of my, you know, worst years at SC, but, you know, I found a way to be effective for the team um, in other ways. So I think that, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And, you know, again, it's the players and it's the coaches.
0: Uh, yeah. So Kenichi Udeze is already there. Um, he's a strength coach. And then you, um, Feli Muala and, uh, Lawan Ramsey, um, all former NFL guys, uh, showed up. And it's funny. Sean Cody comes in and says hello to me and Dan Weber. And he didn't even realize you guys <laughs> were going to be there. So I think he felt a little left out. And he was like sticking with the media. And then he went over to, to talk to you guys. But I think there was like, th- you know, five former NFL. Defensive linemen, former USC guys, and three of you guys, I think, were like first team All Americans. So it's a pretty good, uh, group of former players there.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that, um, the D line tradition at the university is one of those things that, uh, gets quite overlooked from a respect standpoint. Uh, you know, none of us are really, you know, publicly celebrated or, um, you know, we don't get to, to run the guys out of the stadium and, uh, different things like that, like defensive line isn't, um, I would say, a spotlight position. But uh there's been some great players over the last, you know, twenty, you know, twenty years that, that have played for the school and going back even further than that. So uh, we're just happy to to have been a part of that and have not, you know, put ourselves in a position to um, disappoint some of the guys that are before us, but. You know, like I said, you know, we support the guys. We know how tough it is. Um, they're getting used to, you know, new scheme, playing something that they've, you know, haven't probably played before in the past. So, you know, it's all good.
0: What, uh, what did what did you guys end up talking about? And what did you what did you see? What did you think of practice? And did you see anything different than what you kind of saw in the game?
1: Uh, I mean, you saw some of the the same things. Um, you know, technique wise, but you get a perspective of understanding what the scheme kind of asked the guys to do. Uh, but you know, it was a, it, it was a different experience for me watching practice with the perspective of having practiced on that field before and knowing what it was like under the Coach Carroll, uh, air where it was a whole different, you know, feeling, a whole different level of energy. Um, and I think a lot of it comes from the team being so young, um, you know, I, I just have a, a good feeling about this team, you know, next year and year after that, and year after that, you know, we were hammered by the same things and the scholarship loss and, you know, yeah, we're off of all that stuff, but we still have a little bit of rebuilding to do and I think that if you've been around the program for the last 10 or 15 years, um, you can definitely see a difference between how it was and how it is.
0: Lawrence Jackson you can follow him on Twitter at LO Jackson 94 and if you want to you know tweet him about college football, the NFL or you know who's your favorite philosopher, he'll have good answers for you no matter what you want to talk to him about. So Lawrence, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thanks Ryann thanks for having
0: me. yeah, it's great stuff definitely follow Lawrence on Twitter. Uh, he follows the program. Really smart guy that talks about all the different stuff besides football. So thanks to Lawrence and everyone else. Thanks very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting.